Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Sal Dietry. Believe it or not, uh, human trafficking, especially teen sex trafficking, is a significant problem in Northern Virginia. January happens to be National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, so we decided to focus on this issue this month. Today we're joined by Kay Duffield, Executive Director of the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative, a nonprofit that is working to eradicate human trafficking in the local area, and Barbara Amaya, a survivor of human trafficking from age 12 through 21, who now works as a human rights advocate and is the author of the award-winning book, Nobody's Child, a memoir of lost innocence, modern-day slavery, and transformation. We're going to hear both of their stories, and we're going to find out how we can help uh, fight this this problem in our community. So, Kay and Barbara, welcome to Grace and 30. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to both of you. And I, I also want to note that Barbara, uh, who is a local here in Arlington, works as a technical advisor for the Seraphim Global, uh, which is a nonprofit here in, in the area. Um, look, we'll start this off, and, and indeed today is uh, National Human Trafficking Awareness Day, and, and in fact January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, which leads to National Freedom Day uh, coming up here on February 1st. Kay, I'd like to start this off with you. Uh, you know, according to your website, um, Virginia is one of 10 states that received the most calls to the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline. A large percentage of these calls are made from Northern Virginia. That's hard to believe, I think, here in affluent Arlington County. What is the dynamic here in Northern Virginia? Educate us on this and, and why we're one of the hot spots nationally for human trafficking. Right, well, let me just say that human trafficking exists everywhere. It doesn't matter if you live in rural areas urban areas or, um, you know, in the suburbs. Yes, human trafficking is a huge problem here. I would say a lot of it has to do with, you know, we live in wealthiest part of the United States. Um, access to international airports, uh, interstate systems, and obviously there's a lot of sex buyers here, unfortunately, because without that, then we wouldn't have a problem at all. And, and is it predominantly, and, and as I've read from your website, uh, uh, teenage sex trafficking as opposed to this general concept of labor trafficking? Um, or is it some mix here in Northern Virginia? So um, we've had about 500 victims of human trafficking identified in Northern Virginia. And the largest percentage of those have been sex trafficking victims versus labor trafficking. And this is uh, gang-initiated, where we're seeing a lot of movement in gangs. I, I note that the Northern Virginia Regional Gang Task Force is involved in human trafficking, or they're preventing it. They're looking at that at some angle. Is, is a lot of this gang-initiated here in Northern Virginia? Are they one of the sort of drivers of this, or no? So I would say um, what we're seeing as far as the traffickers, yes. Uh, the, the gangs have found out they can make a lot of money from being involved in trafficking, human trafficking, but also we're, you know, we're seeing businessmen, uh, women, uh, there's really no specific profile of a trafficker. That's surprising to me. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm probably surprising to our audience as well to, to hear that. 
I want to cut over really quick to Barbara because I want to make sure we have a little bit of time for you to get into your story and and what an amazing story it is. I you know I, both Sal and I have read some articles and looked at some videos. Take a few minutes to sort of sh- share with us um, your journey because evidently you went into the, the human trafficking. You were a victim of this starting at age twelve some years ago. Tell us about how that started and uh, and, and and where you evolved to today. Well, um, I'd like to say that. I'm originally from Fairfax, Virginia, and that is one of the highest cost of living areas in the United States. And I think often when people do hear about my story, they're kind of shocked that to hear that as a young girl, I was originally from Fairfax, Virginia, um, not from the inner city. I was from Fairfax, Virginia. Um, I, like so many other uh, victims of uh, domestic minor sex trafficking, uh, was very vulnerable. You know, as a child, you're automatically vulnerable. I was uh, even more vulnerable, like so many other victims, because I experienced uh, some abuse in my home that made me even more vulnerable. I couldn't get anyone to listen to me. And uh, eventually, I uh, started running away from home. Uh, the summer I turned 12, and I want to repeat that, the summer I turned 12, because today when I see 12-year-olds, I'm 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 still shocked at how very young I I actually was. You know, I I was just a child. I started running away uh, from Fairfax to nearby Washington, D.C. And um, wherever there are young, vulnerable people, there are predators waiting to prey upon them. And um, that's what happened to me eventually. Um, Kind of making a very long story uh, short, condensed version here. But eventually, um, uh, it was sadly to me, a young woman who approached me in Washington and, um, you know, she was maybe at one point she'd been a young runaway in her life. Who knows? But her she she set out to recruit me, bring me back to her apartment where a trafficker was waiting. And um, basically they, they groomed me for for purposes of, of prostitution in our nation's capital. They took me out and um, and uh, sold me for purposes of, of, of sex. And they collected the money and they. You know, um, <clears throat> that went on for several weeks until uh, one day they sold me to a trafficker from New York. And I, I want, you know, I, on the corner of 14th and I streets, I still remember to this day the money exchanging hands. They sold me to a trafficker from New York. Now, looking back through the lens of an adult that I am today, I, I believe that um, that trafficker from New York was probably working with people in every major city. And he had these people funneling him young runaways from all over the place. But at any rate, um, so he took me up to New York and he started the um, programming process right away. And I use that word very purposefully, programming. Um, and, and, and um, you know, like uh, I reached to turn the radio up in the car on the way to New York and he slapped my hand away. And, you know, he started the control right away in small ways. Yeah, you've used the term trauma bond mm-hmm. to, to indicate what he did to you, correct? Yes, that's exactly what happened. You know, um, a lot of people have heard that term, and maybe some people haven't, but people might have also heard the term um, Stockholm Syndrome. Um, and it's the exact same phenomena that happens. Uh, it also happens, It's I equate it to also to domestic violence when that that um, wife or that woman, um, you know, somebody, her sister says, oh my gosh, you have another black eye. Aren't you going to leave your husband? Why do you stay? And the woman says, I don't want to leave. I can't leave. He's not that bad. That trauma bond is in place. She can't leave. She doesn't know why, you know. 
But when you're a young child um, or, or a vulnerable person and you begin to see that your life is in, in danger, you begin to bond with that person that, that's controlling you. And you don't really know why you can't leave, but you can't. Well, there's also a fear factor, correct? I mean, on the website, you noted that a lot of people don't survive uh, captivity, escape, rescue, restoration. I mean, it, what, what you go through is so horrible and, and tra traumatic that you never really come back to the real world and you sink into drug addiction and things like that. Is that a, a fair assessment? Um, yes. I've seen, I think, only one study that... There, there might be many out there, but I've only come across one that equated that said something about survivors of um, of uh, sex trafficking had like a seven year lifespan or something like that. But I mean, here I am. I'm I'm here by some miracle. I'm still alive. But I did become heavily addicted to heroin when I was being trafficked on the streets of New York. Um, you know, it was over a decade, and um, everything that you could imagine happened to me did happen to me. I was also uh, arrested many, many times. And, um, you know, the trafficker told me, you will be arrested by the police and you will be treated like a criminal. And I was treated like a criminal. So every time the police arrested me, they they played into exactly what the trafficker had, had told me, you know, so that's... You, you also noted that once, you, when you were 15 years old, the police came and got you, correct? And you were waiting for your family to meet you and... Oh, um, well, I like I said, I'd been arrested, and I would, you know, everybody out on the street, you'd you would be arrested, and you would um, go through this whole process, and then, and, you know, you'd be taken down to 100 Center Street, the the courthouse in Manhattan, and um, generally you'd be given a fine and let go. But one time I wasn't let go; I was taken to Rikers Island Prison, and um, I was terrified because going to Rikers Island Prison on the charges that I had, I knew. I was going to experience horrible violence in the prison because if I'd gone into the prison on a murder charge, I would have had a better outcome because in the criminal world, the respect is the opposite than it is in the workaday, you know? I mean, they had no respect for me coming in on a prostitution charge, especially having a trafficker, you know? At any rate, I was terrified and I um, broke protocol in the programming of the trafficker. And I, um, oh, I, I was also heavily addicted to heroin at that point, so I was going through withdrawal. So I, I, I broke protocol. I told the guards, wait, here's my real name. I'm, I'm, I'm 15 years old. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. And they were, you know, stunned, disbelief, ran around, found my parents. Um, and um, they were leading me down the hall to the room where my parents were supposed to be. And um, all these different emotions are going through my mind. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't seen my parents in several years. I was, you know, scared. I didn't know what they were going to think about me. Um, but I was also happy to see them to get out of Rikers Island prison. Uh, at any rate, we they opened the the guard opened the door and the trafficker was in the room, not my parents. Um, I don't know how that happened to this day. I'm not sure how that happened, but I wish I could say that I didn't leave with him, but I did. And my parents tell me to this, my mother says that they missed me by five or 10 minutes that day. So it wasn't my time to leave New York, I guess. How did you finally, because I listened to your TED talk and when I, I heard that, that the trafficker was the one in the room, how did you finally break free from this? I mean, what, what was it? That scare at Rikers Island got you to say, I, I am Barbara Amaya. I, I, I am not the person that I have been programmed to be. And yet when I finished that, it, you left with the trafficker. And, and I, I had that open question. How did you finally break free of that? Well, um, I wasn't rescued, per se, by any group or particular person. But I will say that um, 
I will say that I do believe that somebody was looking out for me because um, I, I mean, I, I really should not be here. You know, there, there have been, you know, gunshots and heroin overdoses and extreme violence and thrown out of cars and everything you could imagine happening to me. And at the end, you know, I had to go back and look at police reports to figure out my true age when I left New York because I was so traumatized. I didn't really know how old I was. I mean, I didn't celebrate birthdays or Christmases or anything for all those years. And um, I think I was 21 or 22, but I was five foot nine, probably 99 pounds, heavily addicted to heroin. And all I know is I really wanted to live and survive. There was some spark of life inside of me. And um, I keep my faith close to my heart, but I do believe that God was looking out for me. Um, and what I choose to believe today is this. I believe that I went through and I experienced everything I did in my life at then so I could do the work that I do today. Well said. It, look, it, for our listeners, if you're just joining us, we're talking about human trafficking in Northern Virginia and right here in Arlington County with Kay Duffield from the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative and Barbara Amaya, a survivor of human trafficking right here in D.C., an award-winning author of Nobody's Girl, and a technical advisor for local Seraphim Global right here in Northern Virginia. Barbara and Kay, what are some of the signs of human trafficking for all of us, for parents, for people who are out on the street? You may see something, something just isn't right. It might be someone that you know, someone's child. It might be a stranger. You read about these things in terms of where they stereotypically occur in, in hotels, uh, massage parlors, um, I, I read an article about a high schooler who was literally picked up after school by a trafficker, was trafficked, and then was dropped home. And that happened every week, unbeknownst to her parents. How, how do we break through in this area? I think I've heard of that happening frequently. Um, it didn't happen that way with me, but it does, it does happen that way. And, you know, I always say to people when I'm asked about the signs, there's no big red letter T on the forehead of victims of human trafficking. But there are some signs that you can look out for, some red flags for this is for teen sex trafficking in particular. If you see gifts, especially cell phones, that's definitely a red flag, a cell phone popping up in your teenager's room and you don't know where it came from. Um, the trafficker will pay for expensive clothing and purses, sudden changes in, in your teen's sexuality, you know, sudden changes in their dress or their attitudes towards sex, and, or secrecy when a particular person calls maybe the house phone or a cell phone, you know, they're, they're real secretive about who's t who's, who they're talking to, or even maybe where they're going. They're very secretive about where they're going. They don't want to talk about, you know, where they're going or, or they're lying about where they're going heavily influenced by a new friend or a boyfriend that she doesn't want anyone to meet you know once again that secrecy depression you know the, the mental the mental signs you know isolation i know for me i um that 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 was a big big one depression and isolation um a tattoo um a um unexplained tattoo on the on the teen um sexually explicit photos on social media extreme fear unexplained bruises or injuries that they that your, your teen can't explain missing school you know for me I stopped going to school I wouldn't go to school anymore um, and, and nobody I kind of fell I didn't kind of I fell through the cracks I, I actually was that year, first year when I started running away from home um, ended up in the foster care system and the juvenile justice system um, my parents rights were taken away and I was put through that 
uh, sent to reform schools. Those first several months, they couldn't figure out what to do with me because I wasn't <laughs> self-identifying as a victim of human trafficking. You know, I wasn't saying this has happened to me, that has happened to me. And that's one of the big problems with victims. Um, they don't self-identify. They don't go to the police or their counselor or social worker and say, I'm a victim of human trafficking. That's that's not how that happens. Okay, you know? the, the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative is a faith-based organization. Tell us about our how our faith can, can help us in these times because, you know, you see everything from, uh, you know, in the TED Talk that you did, Barbara, the, the person after you talked about how there, there was stress at home, their daughter was an honor student, she was in sports, there were mm-hmm. real no signs. And then one day she ran away, left a note for her father that said, Dad, I got a D on a, on a test, and I'm too embarrassed to tell you. And once she ran away, she was exposed to that machine that Barbara talked about. What, what, what can our faith do? What are you folks at NVHTI doing in, in this area related to faith, your mission, your structure? Tell us a little bit about your organization. Right. So I'll, I, we are a faith-based Christian organization. I will say that, you know, this is such horrific evil um, that's working through a person that we call a trafficker um, that exploits, abuses these victims, these survivors, and it can be overwhelming. And so we have to turn to God to give us strength, those of us that, that are on staff and, and our volunteers. And I will say that that we um, we respect the rights of the survivors that we work with. They may not be able to incorporate faith because perhaps the trafficker used faith um, in part of controlling and manipulating them. So we do have to be very careful about that. Um, it's first and foremost about actions, about following through on the services and the support that we say that we will offer, and that comes first. And we always say that we cannot expect trust to happen. You have to earn trust. And so we we start with that. Yeah, we, we talked a bit on the phone, you and I, a couple months ago, and um, you talked about how the police call you when they, have a, they find a victim, and you guys kind of come in, and you give them clothing and food. That first 48 hours is kind of very shocking and very, very critical for, right. for um, delivering people from this. Right. Um, is that really the main function you serve at, the, at your organization, or you certainly go beyond that, correct? We do. We The crisis response uh, happens within the 48 hours uh, of re- that they are recovered from a situation. And then if the client chooses, which we hope that, that they will, we are willing to provide long-term intense case management because we believe that it's about walking with them on the long journey. Yeah, I think you quoted on on the phone that one human trafficking victim uses the resources of seven domestic violence victims. Yes, that that is correct. That was a surprise to me. Uh, One other thing, you you talked about the evil. Um, I I mentioned on the phone to you that I saw, happened to see coincidentally, a program on TV where they, I, I must have been a trafficker who was caught by the police and convicted and so he was helping out by producing a video on how he would recruit people and it was it was really sickening (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it seemed to me that he was very proud of all his techniques as he described them 
he didn't seem very repentant of what he had done and and uh i it's just you know you, you even mentioned a term the religion of pimping that there's some sort of a video on youtube you mentioned actually that's a presentation that uh, my daughter and i put together last summer and we actually give that presentation what it does is it it allows the communities to see from the viewpoint of the trafficker um, which is very helpful and it helps them to understand um, what their survivor goes through and you all have you know, one of the things you talk about are these prayer teams sometimes people will literally call you and say I have an urgent need probably because they or their children they've discovered are, are now involved in this what is the role of your prayer teams how are you looking to expand that because at the center of this it seems to me that prayer is just essential for families for parents for children that we don't take enough time to do this on a daily basis and and prayer helps us uncover a lot of these or at least begin to, to broach a lot of these painful things that happen in families right well we certainly believe as a faith-based organization that this is a spiritual battle battle first and foremost and so prayer is extremely important um, our prayer team because we have volunteers from all over Northern Virginia, they actually meet via conference call and pray. We have um, we have prayer requests from clients that we work with, and we also have prayer requests from those that work on the front lines. And so we just lift those up, and, and we're going to start having um, where we meet in person uh, monthly to have prayer requests and worship uh, prayer sessions and so we're, we're really excited about getting that started yeah you have that great uh, uh, verse from isaiah uh, 61 he has sent me to mm -hmm. comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed and as we're talking about that that this is so much of, of people who become imprisoned as, as you said barbara they become trapped in that sort of bond and how prayer can help break that even in the time of isaiah mm -hmm. that god would come forward and in some way free prisoners that's right. With God, all things are possible. And I believe that captivity, you know, we see pictures of, of victims in chains, and it's really, it's mentally um, that they're in chains. And so that really does have to be broken. And I, I believe that only through God it can really happen to the depth that it needs to happen. I'm going to turn actually a little early in the uh, program to talk about a call to action because we have two of you and you both have very deep experience in this. So, so Kay, starting with you, what's on your heart? What would you like to call the listeners to do? Maybe it's something in, in terms of how they view people who are victims of this or maybe it's specifically what you need in your organization, but share with us a call to action or two that you'd like to, to get out. Well, my passion is that for every community member to recognize that human trafficking exists in your backyard. And so I'm going to ask you, this is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, so I'm going to ask you to choose three people that you, you don't think even understands that human trafficking exists here. They may think it happens in India or Cambodia or Thailand, and just let them know that it happens here. And send, if you need to, send them to our website, novahti.com, for more information about what trafficking looks like. But just share it with three people. Yeah, it seems like uh, you, you mentioned on the phone awareness is a big deal. And when uh, you mentioned a story about Frank Wolf, his efforts, he sent letters to 400 pastors and didn't hear back from them because people didn't, weren't aware that this was a problem. And it took someone special to step forward and make people aware of this. 
Um, what about your organization? Is there anything you guys need or uh, to, to keep doing what you're doing and to grow and, to, and increase in your impact? Right. So we need volunteers. The work that we do, um, we do with volunteers. And we have uh, several different teams. We have victim services team, which has the crisis response case management, trained mentors, the prayer team, communications team, which is the website, social media, partnership team, awareness. If you, if you like to go out and speak at events, um, you know, we need that. Admin help. Uh, we also need gift cards for our survivors that we work with. Um, we're running low on gift cards right now, so that would be a huge help to Walmart or Target. So, Barbara, what about you in terms of a call to action? I, I, we're really glad you got kind of covered the red flags for people to look for. That's really important. What are the other one or two things that are really critical that you want to get the message out to the listeners? Well, I think, um, once again, yes, this is Human Trafficking um, Awareness Day and Month. But I also would, would like to remind everybody uh, that's listening that um, every day should be Human Trafficking Awareness Day, not just January. I think um, <clears throat> if we could remember that, that would, that would be good. And to take time, you know, nobody has time, especially today. Everybody is so very busy. You know, we're all multitasking, you know, texting and talking and emailing and doing three things at once. And so um, when I was a child, I fell through the cracks because nobody took time, you know, to really take a second look and listen to me, you know, um, and, and, and I urge people to do that, you know, counselors, social workers, even just regular everyday people, if you feel like something's wrong, it probably is, you know, and if you see a situation, a young boy or young girl, and you feel like something's happening, it probably is, then it's up to you what you're going to do about it, you know, and I urge you to um, work with organizations like K's, and, 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 I, and I urge you to talk to your lawmakers and find out what laws are needed in your state that you live in, because that's a real way to make a difference as well every day, not just during January. That's great. And Barbara, again, Ed and I cannot thank you enough for, for sharing your story. You know, Kay, look, you're, you're an ordained minister. We've, we've got you here. Uh, I'm going to throw this out uh, as a little surprise, but w would you offer us just a short prayer tonight? Because I I'll tell you, I, I feel for, I think every listener needs to stop and think about mm. so many people that are on the street right now. Yeah. Or, right. or And we don't stop to think, you said, let's let's stop the noise for a minute with everything. And if, if you would just offer us just, a, a, just from your heart, just a short prayer. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. So Lord, we just bless you and we thank you for um, not only Ed and Sal and Barbara, but every listener there tonight, God. And I ask that you would just activate them, God, activate their hearts and their minds to be able to recognize if and when trafficking is happening around them, God. And I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage to call the authorities um, so that, that that victim can be recovered. And for the victims that may be listening tonight, we just bless them. We just declare, God, that you will just give them the courage to call and to get help and to put to surround them with, uh, with your love and support. And we just bless each listener. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
And Ed, as our good friend Milton Brown would say, amen. And amen. And amen. That's right. <laughs> amen and amen. I love that. I love that about Milton. Let's do it twice. Okay, so we've got about 50 seconds, 45 seconds. Is there anything more you'd like to share? Make sure you get out uh, uh, during the program. I just want to make sure that if there are any victims out there and you, you're tuning in and maybe you, this is the first time you've heard of human trafficking, sex trafficking, and labor trafficking, and you're thinking this may be you, um, here's a number that you can call, 1-888-373-7888. Again, 1-888-373-7888. That's the National Human Trafficking Hotline, and they will get you help. And Barbara, you've got a book, Nobody's Girl, that I read a little bit about, but it's become one of the best sellers in Amazon, I think, for this month. Can you tell us a little bit about that in just 30 seconds? Give a quick shout out. Yes, it's um, it's actually a memoir, and um, it was it was it was a uh, long, long, hard. Um, way to go but uh the yes the book is uh, was released last year and it's available online everywhere at my publisher's website animalmedia.com on amazon barnes and noble and it is um actually a bestseller on amazon so i urge people to go online and check it out okay guys thank you so much for joining us um we're going to be posting information on our website uh for both of these organizations if you want to find out more about barbara she can be found at barbaraamaya.com her last name is a-m-a-y-a and you can also go to the nova hti site n-o-v-a-h-t-i.com uh, this is ed and sal signing off from grace and 30 on w-e-r-a-l-p arlington 96.7 fm have a great night all and be sure to tune into grace Father, let me dedicate all this life to Thee. In whatever worldly state Thou would have me be. Not from sorrow, pain, or care, freedom dare I claim. This alone shall be. Glorify thy name.